I didn't discuss anything I was looking into with anybody. I did discuss the songs we sang. Uh, but some of the things that were just said testimonial-wise really tie into where I've been thinking. And so I've got some different things I'm going to read. Some things that I just, I, I don't even remember where I found them, but just things I've been contemplating and reading about God and His Word. and about. So the subject today is sin, is your disobedience. That's our subject today. And so remember this though, it's the subject, but it's not the sentence. This does not condemn you. It cannot own your life. It cannot cause you to fail because the price is just like I just prayed that was laid on my heart. The price has been paid for that, that it has been finished. It has been settled. There is no power in your sin in your life. Now, there's consequences, and that's not what today is about. But we all know there are consequences to our choices. There are consequences to what we choose to allow to lead us in our life. And we know there's really only, there's not a gray area. Uh, at least in my mind, there's not. You know, we talk about, oh, he's, I'm on the fence. Well, I don't believe that. I'm either on, I'm either here or I'm here, right? Like I'm, I'm on one side or the other of the fence. It's not, we don't want to complplicate it and make it like there's, I'm in these 33 stages. I'm either right in my decision or I'm wrong. And it's really easy to see for me transparently. I know what's in charge of that decision. So does God and Jesus. There would be no reason to be anything other than what you are in front of them. And I have proof of that. I'm so encouraged by that. He is not calling you to the table because you've made some decisions to be this righteous, holy person. He is calling you to the table because you're just the opposite. He's calling you to the table because you're a sinner. You're fallen away. You're His enemy. We know that God chose to dine with His enemies. Like He... That's who he really wanted to pull close to him, or Jesus, as he was on earth. So let me read this. I don't know if it was the beginning of the message, but I ran three or four off. But hopefully they'll come back. You know what I mean? <laughs> so listen, I'm going to define what sin is. So sin is disobedience to God commandments, God's commandments. And we know what those are in the Bible. There's ten commandments. And then Jesus further stated, and we know that the Ten Commandments are the Old Covenant, right? So God made a covenant way back in time. He makes this covenant and He, he carves it on stone. And Moses brings them down off the mountain. And it's the covenant. It's the agreement between God and man. And clearly man does not hold up his end of the bargain. And we begin to break the agreement immediately like, there's no way we can't. That's why Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah. Ultimately, Jesus comes to earth, and he makes a new covenant. Remember, he even says that, that I'm the new covenant. I am going to be the new agreement between you and the Father. There's been a gap created, and you can't get to him unless I become the new covenant. I'm going to gap. I'm going to bridge over the gap. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. 
I am going to pay the price so that I can be your advocate and repair the relationship between you and God. So back in Jesus' day, no one could go behind. So like in the temple of God, there was the temple area where you, where common people could go. And then there was this big curtain where only like the holiest could go, like the priest and the religious guys, and they would go behind there into the inner room with God. And so we were held out from that. And Jesus says, I'm here to break the barrier. Like I'm going to pay the price so that you can be one with God. So, and then, so, and the only way to really do, because we know this is true, that God cannot look upon sin. He detests sin. God is holy and righteous and 100% true. And he can't even look upon untruth and, and darkness and dissatisfaction and, and, and self-centered desired things. Those appall him. We know that. And that's nothing to be afraid of. And the reason it's nothing to be afraid of is because Jesus did the work so that we don't have to be afraid of it, so that then God miraculously can do something in our life. Okay, so sin's defined as it's a disobedience to the God's commandments, either by doing what is forbidden in your life. So that could be literal, like that could be murder, adultery, lying, coveting, you know, the Ten Commandments, having another God before God, it literally means that, and I still believe that that's true. The law's not been canceled. The law's been satisfied. So the law is still there. Jesus satisfied the law. Like, you could never make up for the law. You're going to break it, and when you break it, you're a lawbreaker. And you don't ever get to not be a lawbreaker because you're destined to break the law. Jesus paid the price so you could be forgiven and be a law-abiding. So, in a way, I'll get to that. So, it's either by for doing what is forbidding, and then here's the interesting part, and I've always thought about this, or it's failing to do what is required. Okay. Now, when I think about that, it means a lot of things, but the thing that's really jarring around in here is the requirement of my decisions. It's what is required of me to go where we're going. Well, there is definitely a requirement. And the key critical requirement in my mind is surrender. Is, a, is an understanding that I can't make it out alive, so to speak. Like I am full of sin, self-centeredness, and I am destined on my own to live according to that. I can try, I can do some things right, I can think of others when it, when it makes me feel good, but overall, I cannot dis extinguish my self-centeredness. That has to be surgically removed, and the only way it gets surgically removed is I'm required to surrender it. I'm required to come to a place of brokenheartedness where I'm so sick of myself that I, and I may not even understand at the time that it happens. I, I really didn't when this happened to me. But there's an event that happens. And it's a breaking of one's spirit. 
It might seem different to all of us. It's not, this is not in a box, but it definitely ends up the same way every time. And that is a recognition through the supernatural power of the love of God, the recognition that you are a broken down sinner. You are not escaping that. You are self-centered to the core, and you are always going to err to yourself, and you come to the realization of that, and something's beckoning you. Man, I got something different for you. That's kind of how, like, dude, or like just a breaking, right? And you, you break under the pressure, like it breaks you down under this pressure of this love calling into your life. And you make a decision. That you don't want to be you anymore. And when you do that, you become born again. That's what the Bible says. That when you make an admission that you need Jesus Christ and you believe He is from God, you believe to the best of your ability that this is what it says it is and He did what He said He did. You believe that. You confess that you need Him as your Lord and Savior. You become born again. You get a new, you become a new creature. The Bible says the old falls off. But it also says that's when the conflict starts, like the real battle in your life, because you become very aware that you're sinful, that it's the core nature of who you are. So you have to be, you have to do the required work, and that is to surrender. Okay. In the Bible. It's a sins a it disrupts your relationship with God. I don't think anyone would argue that. Uh, easier way for us to think about it is a relapse disrupts your recovery. It doesn't take it away. It disrupts depending on where you take it to what level. It disrupts your recovery. It 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 stops it. It's cardiac arrest. You were in recovery. You chose to go back to the old way of life, so you like went to the back of the line, right? But it, but you had it didn't take that away, but it certainly disrupts it. It like puts it on cancel, like on hold, right? Like, <laughs> Dad, gum it! <laughs> ah, he's back, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. The, I'm going to read a couple of things. The good news is, and I, this is so true, no matter how serious the sin is, God is always, God always seeks us out and is willing to forgive and forget. This is really important. God really seeks us out to forgive us. Not only does he forgive us, and I'm not going to have time to really die, like we could really dig into the word and find where he says this a lot of times. He's not only going to forgive you, and this is work for us. Man, this is work for us. He is going to forget it. He is not going to hold any record of rights or wrongs in our lives. He is simply going to wipe the slate clean, and he is going to forget your sin and give us a fresh start. Then, as long as we live, it is never too late to ask for forgiveness and a new start. Over and over and over. That's why grace abounds. Now, I am not saying to you that if you key into this way of living, 
and you have a moment where you break down and you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it does not, He is in no way advocating for you to live a life that is full of sinful decisions knowing that you can get grace. You can, but that is not what He's calling for. He's calling for a different way of living. He's made you new. You should allow that to happen. He is not forgiving you so that you can continue to do wrong. You probably, I'm careful when I say these things because I never want us to leave like we can go run off and do whatever's permitted. The Bible says all things are permissible. It says that, but only some things are beneficial. So we don't want to tear out of here with this mindset because that would not be the forgiven state. The forgiven state like encourages me, like draws me into right living, like empowers me in a way that I've never been empowered to seek out the right thing in a decision. And I hear a lot of you saying you do this. That's supernatural in its ability. We don't have the ability to do that. We're always going to err on the self-centered side. So although God is always ready and willing to forgive, he requires, again, here's that word, there are two things that are required. You don't have to like that, but it's true. The cross is all-powerful, alpha, omega, settled the question, but there are two requirements in order to receive its power. You have to repent, and you have to forgive others. That's what the Word says. You do not get to feel bad like the world feels bad and be sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That is not what he's asking for. He is asking for a broken heart. He is asking for an offended feeling like, like I've wronged him. And I know you can relate on earth. A lot of us have wronged maybe even each other in this room, but we've definitely wronged organizations. You know, you know if you steal or, or you robbed or just lying, any of those things. We've wronged people around us and we've been wronged. There's been some horrible things happened to some of us uh, against our will. We have, there's two requirements. Repentance, which is a turning around, like a, a, a detest for that which we're doing, like, ugh, and that only comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, all of a sudden after I'm saved, I'm living one way, and then I'm realizing, oh, like I'm hearing some of you say this every week. Like you're like, man, I don't want to do that anymore. That's a supernatural gift, right? So when we sense that, we have, that's not enough. It's not enough just to sense it and keep doing it. And I believe me, I'm speaking to me right now. It is a repentive heart, a broken spirit. The Bible says a broken and contrite heart. If you can become broken over that which is separating you to a degree, and you know there's not a one of you in this room that hears me right now that doesn't know what I'm talking about in your life. I will assure you, God is telling you right now what it is in your life that is wedged in between you, and He wants it. So He's asking you, are you willing to be repentive? Do you feel remorse between us when you are acting out and behaving in those things which you know I've asked for? So he's asking you to admit that.
to be transparent. And then he's also asking you to forgive those around you. And if you'll do those two things, then incredible things come out of, like we get to live, and I believe, because I'm around a lot of you, we're already doing this, but I think he's speaking and calling into some lives that he wants some more. Like he's got more life for you, but there's something in the way, and he's asking for it. Okay, let's move on. So here's the scripture. And this is kind of mixed up, I guess. But So, he, so he is not calling you because you've quit sinning. That would be backwards. 100% backwards. He's calling you because you're a sinner, if that makes sense. He's not interested, well, he is. He's very interested in those who have already leaped off the cliff and broke down and they're not struggling. You know, there are people out there that wake up every day and fully devoted. I'm not saying they're 100% every single second of their life, but there are a lot of those saints out there, I call them saints, that are just flipped over and like full of power all the time and like it's their very focus. Everything, money and stuff has taken a backseat. They're out there. But he's very interested in the sinner that still needs redeemed. Like that is moving along a path. That is walking and trudging the road and keeps falling back and you're under this cloud of guilt and shame. He is very interested in pulling that sheet back and exposing you and cleansing you and making you free of guilt and shame. That is his purpose. How do we know that? Because in the Bible, when he was entering a city, and he was, had done all, a bunch of miracles, thousands of people crowding the streets, crunching in on him, uh, and there's this dude named Zacchaeus. Now he happens to be a shorter guy, and he can't see Jesus. Now, he doesn't necessarily want to see Jesus because of the reason a lot of our hearts are desiring Jesus to be cleansed and made new. He's wanting to see him because it's a spectacle. Zacchaeus is a man of the world. He's a tax collector. He's all about money. He's about taking what you have and putting it in his coffers and making himself wealthy. And he was interested in spectacles. You know, if there was an event, he wanted to check it out. He wanted to say, you know, selfie. He was there, right? He's that dude. Do you guys know those people? <laughs> That was Zacchaeus. If he'd have had a phone, he'd have done that. Jesus would be back there walking through the street. And he'd... But instead, Zacchaeus wanted to get a look at him, so he climbs up a tree. And so he's in this tree, so he's standing out, right? Now, this is the cool part. He's standing out to Jesus. Jesus notices him immediately because he's a sinner through and through, right? Jesus is looking for you when you're like that. And he notices Zacchaeus, and he notices him to a degree where he goes, and he ain't never met him. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down from there. And I want to eat in your house today. I want to go to dinner with you. I love you in a way that I want to break bread with. Because breaking bread back then was a very uh, intimate thing. When you ate with folks, it was an intimate thing. And he said, I want to go to your house for dinner. 
where the religious leaders were appalled that he would do that. Not only did he go with Zacchaeus, he said, invite all your friends. And you know Zacchaeus' birds of a feather flock together. He's got all these notorious people, right, in the community. And before you know it, there's 15 or 16 of them at this table, and Jesus is with them. And he's breaking bread with them, and they're eating, and they're, he's loving on them, and they're talking, and he's laughing at some of their stories. And the religious leaders are, what is he doing? He can't be eating with those people. But that is precisely, precisely what Jesus is about. He is hunting you. He is looking for you because you've got something wedged in between you and God and Jesus wants to rectify it in your life. He wants to, he wants to work with you to relieve you of that. So, And we know that is also true, and I'm going to paraphrase, because he tells the parable, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, right? So he says, look, if a farmer's got a hundred sheep, I'm paraphrasing this to death, if he's got a hundred sheep and all of a sudden he goes out and does a head count and he's got 99 and one of them's went a missing, like falling behind the group and got caught up in a cleft in the rock or whatever, he, all he knows is that he had a hundred and now one's missing. He says, does that farmer go look for the one? He leaves the 99. He leaves the ones that are secure and okay and he's concerned about the one that left. And he leaves the 99, and he goes and finds that one, and he brings it home. And so that's, and Jesus says, this is precisely how your heavenly Father feels about you when you stray away. That's why you feel heavy. You don't feel heavy because of the enemy. You feel heavy because he's calling you to dinner, and you don't want to go to dinner, just like Adam and Eve didn't want it. Adam and Eve were with God forever and ever and ever in the garden. Every evening, God would show up and they'd... I can't skip right now because my leg. <laughs> but they would, they would skip around with him. It was awesome. The garden was perfect every day. God showed up in the afternoon and they hung around. Then they sinned and they no longer wanted to hang around. They felt what? Guilty and ashamed. Immediately shame entered their life. So you should not be surprised if from time to time shame comes calling. Because God doesn't do that, but the enemy turns God's love, see God's conviction calling into your life to take away the, the boil that creates the shame. He wants to remove it, but the enemy festers with it and causes it to flare up and it turns into shame. Where God's saying, let me cut that out. Let me cut that out of your life. Because then it says this, and I'll, I'll stop with this. This is very important stuff. There's key couple words here. There's, I'm gonna, it's a decent little piece of scripture but there are key things that God says in here that you need to hear, and I'll stop when I get to them. And it says this. So, let me take five minutes. This is in Hebrews, and so the author of Hebrews actually quotes some 
Old Testament. He like prophesies some Old Testament stuff. And so this first part's way back from the Old Testament. And it says, the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For the Spirit says, this is the new covenant. And this is before Jesus was on earth. But he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, listen to this. When their sins have been forgiven, there is no need, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. You do not have to walk around in a victim mentality. If you're walking around a victimization of your life, then shame on you. Because he is not calling you to be a victim. He is calling you to be a victor. He has put in place the ability for you to be a victor, not a victim. So he goes on to say this. And so, so he says this, he says, And so, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place. Now this is what we're talking about. Remember the curtain that only the the priest could go behind. So the writer says, Therefore, we can enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new... Now listen, if you haven't heard anything else, listen really careful. A new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have been have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that would be Jesus, listen what God says. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him, for our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. He says, Our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood. I don't care what you did this morning. If you are born again, and you believe that with your heart, and you enter into the holy place with God in your prayer life, and you confess to God that which you have done, that is sprinkled through the, through the life-giving power by Christ's blood. The price was paid for it, and guilt should be removed. You should not be guilty. You should not have shame in your life. So let me go on. So, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. That did not say, let's live perfect. What it did say is cling to the cross. When you make error, put into place my requirements. Go to the cross with a repentant heart and confess with God through your prayer life and another individual if it calls you into that. That what you have done, and that's how you cling to the hope is you continue to be transparent. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, acts of love and meeting together, as some people do. So listen, but encourage one another, especially now that the day is drawing near. So, I'll wrap it up like this. You're not going to live perfect. I want you to. I want to live perfect. It's unrealistic. I'm not sure if that's 
If I would be in trouble saying that to a Bible scholar, I'm not sure what he would say about me saying that. I've never asked one. I ain't going to either. Because this is what my heart says. This is what my heart says. I am not capable of living 100% all the time pure. It's just my reality. I have a desire, but it must not be strong enough. I let things get in my way. I let the world get involved. My self-centeredness gets involved. And I make choices that I pay consequences for. I make choices where I feel disconnected. I have consequences from some of those choices. I believe that there's things that I don't understand in the supernatural realm that I'm losing out on because of my choices. And it's becoming more real and real to me every day that I am living below that which He wants me to live and that there is a prize so incredible up here if I will just simply make the choices to allow Him to have those things that are standing between me and this level of living. It's just a choice. So He's calling into our lives today. He's asking for that in your life. Whatever that might be right now in your mind, He is asking, can I be your helpmate this week? Can I be the one that helps you over that? Because guess what? I've already conquered it. Is no way it can beat us together. There is no way that can beat you in your life if you call Jesus the Holy Spirit into it. No way. So I'm asking you this week, and you don't get to escape this because this is from God into your life. You're going to leave here because He loves you so much. And when, you, when you're doing those things that are getting in your way, and it's going to probably be different for all of us, because certain things are certain things. You're going to be talked to about it in your spirit. I'm asking you to come to life this week about it. I'm asking you to surrender. I'm asking you to let him pull up next to you like he's already, he's calling you out of the tree. He wants to take you to dinner. And let him do that, and then come back and tell me about it. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we give you permission to be our Lord and Savior. We give you permission to be the overcomer of sin in our life that you've said you are, that your promises are never broke. We believe that about you. But Lord, you already know, if not all of us, most of us are falling short. We're letting things get in our way. We're seemingly making these decisions, these small decisions that are getting in our way, and we want to live higher. You're calling us to higher purpose, so we want to do that. So I'm just asking that each one of us would not escape your Holy Spirit. We're thankful for that. Thank you for the testimonies and for your spirit in this room. Go with us from this place and let us hear of incredible tales next week. In Jesus' name, amen.